Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Welcome to the Greatest Generation Deep Space Nine. It's a Star Trek podcast by a couple of guys who are a little bit embarrassed to have a Star Trek podcast. I'm Ben Harrison. I'm Adam Pranica. Adam, we teased this. I think we may have teased it on two different episodes. Not sure. But uh, we we were uh, asking our audience. We, we would like to juice our number of reviews on apple podcasts if we if we can we do want to juice it we want the whatever the anabolic steroid equivalent of more more reviews on apple podcasts because here's the deal there's like algorithms on there that uh that pick out you know who's getting a lot of reviews who's getting a lot of new downloads who's getting a lot of new subscriptions and when those algorithms identify phenomena such as that taking place, they float those shows to the top because they're like, oh, this must be a hot show. Apple Podcast is all about trying to get hot shows hotter. And uh, we're not a hot show, <laughs> but we'd like to be. It's got the hottest hosts, that's for sure. Yeah, that's true. Check this out. Oh, there's my camera. Oh, yeah. How about this? Ooh. Oh, yeah. Look at that. That's, that's, your, uh, that's your blue steel look. Improving the traps every day. So uh, somebody identifying themselves on Twitter as at Crash7800 uh, was kind enough to make a Google spreadsheet that pulls all the data from our, our iTunes reviews, our Apple Podcast reviews, and, uh, and puts them in a spreadsheet. And we have a couple of uh, the the idea we had was uh, ask us a question in the in the text of your five star review and mm-hmm. we'll uh, and we'll answer it here on an episode. So do you want to uh, go through a couple of questions? I want to say first of all, I am shocked that a document like this can be created. There's a bunch of automation happening here, right? This isn't a yeah. a viewer like copying and pasting things into a spreadsheet. I hope. No, I think this was made automatically in some way. Wow. I don't know how. Not so automatic as to remove uh, the non-five-star reviews, I see. <laughs> yeah, if somebody could do that, <laughs> I think I think we have as good a ratio of five-star reviews to other kinds of reviews as a podcast could hope for. Uh-huh. I don't think you can get to the number of, view- of viewers we have without pissing some people off yeah. along the way, you yeah. know? Yeah. Like for every 10,000 viewers, there's going to be one or two that are like, fuck these guys. It's how you know you've made it. Right. You don't make it without getting your car egged every once in a while. <laughs> yeah. Uh, here's a question to Ben and Adam. Will you trek up to Maine someday? Adam is a hard no. <laughs> I've got to admit something that is a little bit shameful, and that is that uh, up until a few days ago, I had not read the John Hodgman book, Vacation Land. Oh, wow. You just read it. I was just coasting on the received knowledge that it was good and called good by people whose tastes that I trust. Yeah. And I finally read it, and obviously, it's a great read, and uh, it made me appreciate the northeastern part of the country like I haven't before. And I think based on John Hodgman's storytelling about Maine... Uh, I would totally go there, but it's a question of, 
of economics. Right. The the circle we have to square with any tour stop is are there going to be enough people in the room when we get there to cover the cost of traveling like all you know the two of us plus Rob's traveling there staying in a Airbnb or a hotel room for a night and uh, meals and other attendant expenses. And uh, I think we have a pretty good sense for most of the country, like where we draw enough to make it economically viable. But Maine is definitely still sort of an unknown. And I, I don't even know off the top of my head if I've looked at our download numbers in Maine. So when I'm feeling no. good and nice, my reaction to something like this is of course we want to go there. We want to go everywhere and do shows everywhere. But yeah. when I'm feeling irritated, my answer is, well, <laughs> you moved to Maine. <laughs> like, whose fault is that? <laughs> Maybe this person grew up in Maine. Yeah. I yeah. don't know how it works up there. Do people grow up in Maine? I think they're plucked from, from the water. That, that's, how we, that's how we get all our flinty people in this country, right? Uh, yeah. We grow them in Maine. All, my, all the flinty people in my life are Minnesotans. Oh, yeah, there's some flinty flintiness up there, too. Yeah. Uh, here's another one. Will you stroll around Echo Park Lake with me? I'm so lonely. I'll bring snacks and pod fluid. Why don't you take this one, Ben? Uh, yeah, if you see me walking around Echo Park Lake, and I walk around it almost every single day uh, when I'm in town, uh, please come up and say hi, and, uh, and I will enjoy some snacks with you. You can recognize me by my dog. I would recommend that you invite Ben onto a swan boat where you can have a guaranteed uninterrupted half an hour together with no escape. If I didn't have the dog with me, I would give, ser I would give serious consideration to a swan boat hang with, yeah. with somebody. But uh, <laughs> I, it, it's mostly that I'm there walking the dog. So I, I, I have not been on the swan boats in the two and a half years or something that I've lived here. Just because I'm, I'm never there, not with a pooch. I love Echo Park. Every time I visit LA, I, I go there with you, Ben. But uh, when I move to LA, I probably won't be living anywhere near there, and that makes me a little sad. Well, you can come visit me anytime, buddy. All right. This one just has, uh, it has a couple of question marks in the body, but I think their question is in the title of uh -huh. the of the review and the question is uh probably a good question for you you to answer adam does the good dr bashir drink pee pee i believe he does ben <laughs> i think that's been asked and answered over and over again <laughs> yeah i think that's canonical trek at this point it really is uh, uh why does adam think voyager is all pan flutes or something What's the deal there? Well, I've consumed very little of Star Trek Voyager, but what I have watched has been uh, Chakotay-related and thus yeah. pan flute-related. And so that's really all I base that on. That's enough, right? Yeah, I think that there is a pretty well-documented and unfortunate history surrounding that element of Star Trek Voyager, which is that there was a a fraudulent uh, consultant. He claimed to have all this knowledge of uh, Native American uh, cultural traditions and heritage and was hired by the Star Trek industrial complex to like give Voyager like ideas for how to explore Chakotay's Native American 
identity. What and a scandal! What this, this guy was not Native American. Was didn't know like he was he like fabricated almost everything. And the, the guy shows up for an interview and he's like, "You should hire me. My name is Joseph Writer's Room." I think that there's even evidence that Rick Berman knew that he was a fraud oh, when he hired wow. him. Wow. Which is that's, not surprising. That's fucking rich. Given some of the other things we know about Rick Berman. Wow. <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, <laughs> the, like, I really like the, the Voyager series a lot. And, and I like the character of Chakotay a lot, but there are some truly unfortunate episodes about Chakotay because of this myopic white production staff choosing to believe a guy because it was the easiest thing to do. Yeah. Instead instead of hiring actual uh, American Native writers, they chose to go this other way. And, uh, and yeah, that, that will always be a bit of a dark stain on uh, Voyager. And uh, if, we ever, if we ever get to Voyager, I am sure we will drag that pretty relentlessly. <laughs> but uh, there's a lot to like about Voyager. I would say we'll never do it just to get a rise out of our viewership, but uh, <laughs> you and I both know that this is a lifetime sentence, this, uh, <laughs> this Greatest Generations show, and I know we'll probably do them all. Ben, I wonder if the reason why uh, we would never be hired to consult for the new Star Trek is an experience like this. Like, yeah. if, if it took them this long to find out about that full of shit person, their ability to detect shit... <laughs> must be so sensitive that there's no way that they would uh, consider bringing us on in any capacity. Yeah, I uh, I can definitely see why you might be a little bit gun shy in. Uh, <laughs> yeah, understandable. Yeah, in that context, uh, well, I think that's probably we should probably call it there for today. But if you would like a question answered on an upcoming episode of The Greatest Generation, leave us a five star review on Apple Podcasts and leave your question in there, and uh, we'll see if we get to it at some point. Hey, I like that idea as a as a new Marin open every once in a while. We might have already had a whole new drop and not even know it right now, because whoever edits this will have to make that decision. <laughs> Oh, cool. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. uh, So much to talk about on today's episode. Why don't we go ahead and get to it, Ben? Let's do it. Just as you send a message to our future selves, so does today's episode have to do with a sort of time travel. It's season five, episode 22, Children of Time. Do you realize how incredible this is? No, of course you don't. Children of Time. Uh, We start this episode on the little D. They're heading back to the A quad from the G quad uh, after a recon mission of some kind. And uh, and the sense we get from the characters is that they're all pretty wiped out from this long space voyage. There's a scene in the commissary where uh, Kira, Dax, and Odo... They're having a cup of coffee, talking about how eager they are to get home. And Dax kind of puts her foot in it. She says, uh, hey, why don't you and uh, Shakar go go get get a spa day when you get back? And Kara's like, yeah, we're actually not seeing each other any longer. We're not seeing each other anymore. When did this happen? 
it seems like it's happened fairly often, the idea of Dax conversationally being an inciting incident for something else. <laughs> Seriously. It turns out that Shikar and Kira went to a, a sort of palm reader, and that fortune teller told them that they weren't meant to be together, and so they took that person's word for action and broke up. This is why I have never consented to going to a fortune teller with my wife. Dax makes the case that people who want to be together should try to be together, you know, like a sane person. Yeah. And Kira isn't even trying to hear that, but Odo, all he can think about is the idea that Kira is now back on the market, and he excuses himself to get some bucket time. I kind of wondered if Dax was intentionally provoking Odo in this scene. Because she's like, what do you think, Odo? Like, about the whole meant to be together versus not issue. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, oh, gotta uh, got get, got get out of here. My, uh, my, my bucket needs to be reorganized. <laughs> <laughs> it takes on a dark tone if you think of it like that. That that Dax is instigating here for her own her own amusement. It kind of felt like that could be a thing, but he goes and excuses himself, and we get really intense Odo eyes to another scene. <laughs> right, we go to the bridge, and there's a server there. Yeah, Ensign Ractagino is just walking around the bridge with uh, with insulated mugs for people. He's got pips. Is he doing that thing like where they're all equal, but he's like, all right, I'm going to go get the coffee this time. It's cool. Or is he a server whose job it is to serve coffee on the little D? Yeah, he's a lieutenant, I guess, right? Yeah. He's got two pips. Yeah. Don't you dare call me Mr. Coffee. I am <laughs> Lieutenant Coffee. <laughs> when I had my office job, I would leap at the opportunity to go on a coffee run because I was so bored and hated being in the office so much. Yeah. So, uh, you know, just to break up the day, maybe maybe Lieutenant Coffee is, uh, is like me. He'd, he'd much rather be yelling at his friend about Star Trek on the internet. I wanted to know everything about this guy. Unfortunately, uh, this is his only scene. Yeah. Cisco uh, declines a Ractagino. He's trying to cut back. And uh, this is another another scene of people talking about how eager they are to get home. And then uh, Dax, uh, some, some interesting readings. You know how a Star Trek episode starts, right? They're heading uh, to one place, and then the ship picks up anomalous readings, and they have to divert for, for reason. The vibe of this is so familiar to me. And I think... This cold open is so related to the idea of fatigue, and and you rarely see this in Star Trek, right? Everyone's just fucking tired, and they want to go home and sleep in their own uncomfortable beds. Right. But this feels so much like the store is about to close, and one last customer walks in, and you're like, fuck. <laughs> yeah. Like, like, I guess, I guess we're going to stay open. That's what this is like. I am always so sensitive when I'm that customer. It's the restaurant thing, right? Like, I never want to go to a restaurant a half an hour before close for this reason. When we did our show in Philly uh, on this most recent tour, I got into our Airbnb, like, super late at night. It was like, it was like past midnight, and I hadn't eaten dinner, and I was famished. And there was one place left open in the neighborhood that we were staying in. And I caught them like 15 minutes before their like 1 p.m. 
posted closing time. Yeah. And I went in and I was like, I am so sorry to do this, but I would like to order food. Is that, is the kitchen still open? Are you still serving? And like the staff was all like incredibly kind about it. They're like, it's not a problem, man. Like this is, we're open till one. The kitchen closes at one. You're totally fine. Like order something, take your time, enjoy it. Like do not trip. And I couldn't not feel bad that I was, I was keeping them there. You know, you couldn't not trip. Yeah. After the show is one of those moments for us where we're finally done, we're all packed out, shit's back in our Airbnb, and we're starving. And sure enough, it's midnight. What's open? And we found a place around the corner from our Airbnb that was a lot like this, except it was empty. Like, it's one thing if you go to a place that may or may not be serving food, but this place was clearly cleaning up in an effort to close early. I think it was like a Monday night or something. It was like, it, it was not the night to be out super late having a drink and a, and a meal. Yeah. So I understood why they wanted to close and I did not want to, to keep them there. And, and you there's know. a way to do that right though. It, it's, are yeah. you still serving food? It's, you don't order food. You ask if they're still serving food. Yeah. And then you tip handsomely. Right. So Dax gets this, uh, gets this anomalous reading. What kind of readings? She talks everyone into going and exploring this planet that has a quantum barrier around it. Time travel. And, uh, and she's saying basically like, it's now or never. If we don't go take a look at this weird planet now, uh, we won't be able to because there's kind of a, a predictable increase to how much interference there is in this barrier. And we could sail right through it now, but uh, by the time we could get back here, there wouldn't be any way to to check this place out. We know from Star Trek First Contact that any term with quantum in the name means time travel, right? (laughs) Like, we we know this. Why don't they? I don't know. This is post-First Contact. Worf has been doing some time traveling. Yeah, it's strange. It's strange because the conflict isn't about the relative danger of of entering a thing with quantum in the name. It's that everyone's tired and wants to go home and are reluctant to tag a mission onto the end of their mission. I wish that there was more of this because I think Dax as a character would be a really fun person to play with this idea that she's kind of like the the straight-A student that Mm. is always asking teacher if they forgot to assign homework. Right. She's kind of a a smarty pants sometimes, and if everybody's like, ugh, Dax, come on, (laughs) you know, that would have been fun. That would be, if she were the Lisa Simpson of the crew. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. It's not quite how they play this, but Cisco agrees that this is an interesting science opportunity and so they uh, they head into the barrier with a couple of shield modifications that Dax has suggested. But these modifications do not prevent the bangers. And uh, as they as they enter, a bunch of wharf lightning starts coming out of Kira's station. And uh, and we see her kind of doubled up for a second. We see we see we see multiple Kiras. Which is, I know, a fantasy of yours. Yeah, it was very exciting for a moment. <laughs> uh, she got the wharf lightning, but she feels okay. Uh, they're trying to call Bashir to the bridge. and <laughs> I she... love that a crew person is struck by lightning on the bridge, and they call for medical attention, and Kira's like, no, I'm fine. She's not a soccer player. She's going to play through this, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Worf, Worf kind of gives her the look, like, yeah. <laughs> she's tough 
You took that wharf lightning like a wharf. (laughs) (laughs) They get hailed from the surface, Adam. They have stumbled upon a planet that is populated by humans. Yeah, it's a creepy hail, too. Welcome to Gaia, Captain Sisko. You know my name? It's that creepy hail of people that know too much about you. Yeah. Down to the fact that Sisko's trying to cut back on the Ractagino. Yeah. Uh, the people on the FaceTime are Miranda O'Brien and Yedrin Dax. Yeah. And that is a bit of a head fuck. Uh, but they beam down and we get to see, like, sort of the Napa Valley of the G-Quad in a little establishing shot. And then... A really nice, like, familiar Star Trek space, which is the, like, semi-outdoor, indoor space. The uh, Yeah, the town square playset. The town square playset is back in a big yeah. way. It it felt comfy like some old shoes. I, I loved it. Fuck. And it's like a whole new playset, too. Yeah. This story is bug nuts, though, Ben. Yeah. What they are told, and on the away team is Dak, Sisko, Worf, and O'Brien, is that in two days, the Defiant is going to attempt to leave. And when it does, it's going to bounce off of that quantum shield and like crash into the planet, but 200 years into the past. And they and everyone else in this town are the crew's descendants. So like the the fact that they're talking to an O'Brien and a Dax means that the Dax symbiont is in Yedrin, and the O'Brien lady means that O'Brien has had children with another woman. This is fucking spectacular. And uh, he is really, <laughs> really not excited about this and uh, and gets a little explanation that, uh, that Ensign Tannenbaum is who he is going to sire this lineage with. <laughs> and, uh, and they all gather together and they sing a little, a little song. Oh, Tannenbaum, oh, Tannenbaum, the chief will not inside of you. (laughs) Now I know that Chief O'Brien's putting up a pretty big fight about whether or not he would ever sleep with another woman, but what my theory presupposes is (laughs) maybe he doth protest too much? Yeah, he does seem to be at great pains to, like, like almost like a guilty man does not want yep. people to think that he is down for this as an idea. No. I think it is very it's a very specific choice by the episode not to show this person. Yeah. And what a robo babe she probably is. Yeah. <laughs> probably pretty good at throwing darts, right? Oh yeah. That's it. that's how you get your work your way into his heart. Yeah. They meet, like, a couple of town square people. They meet uh, this kid, Gabriel, who's really excited to meet Worf because uh, Worf is the son of Moog, and Gabriel aspires to one day be a warrior, despite being a toe-headed nine-year-old boy. Gabriel introduces himself to Worf, and he's like, Did you know the Klingon head weighs 46 pounds? <laughs> <laughs> But Yedrin has a solution to the problem, and he he uh, he takes uh, I think Dax and Cisco to uh, to explain some of this to them. They walk into the lab, and uh, and Yedrin is explaining that the colony has spent the last two hundred years working out a solution to this problem, and it actually has a lot to do with what happened to Kira when they went through the barrier. There's a way to split. 
past Defiant apart from present Defiant at the quantum level. Time travel. So that uh, they don't have to collapse the timeline that all of these 8,000 people existed in uh, in order to go home. They can both go home and also leave this colony here to continue to develop. You know what they say, Ben, you can go home and you can stay here. <laughs> wow. Yeah, they do say that, don't they? So It's a real Twilight Zone type of story that's unfolding here. Be- because immediately my head went to the the moral stakes of this. Like, yeah. what is real life? Who are actually living real lives and who aren't? And is there a difference? Right. And like, who are, like, what are these characters going to be like? I mean, like, they've already planted the idea of the Klingons that are part of this society. There's so many interesting directions they can take this. And it's it's really interesting that at the 12 minute mark seemingly all the stakes of the story are taken off the board yeah but replaced with a dozen questions about possible outcomes it doesn't kneecap interest in the story at all and i think that that's like such a cool move from a writing standpoint i really feel like this is one of the strongest first 15 minutes of a ds9 up in a long long time i was totally wrapped it's really good so cisco tells uh jadzia dax to check Yedrin Dax's numbers and uh, yeah they're kind of off to the races and uh, and Cisco even favors Yedrin with an old man to end this scene there's a lot of the crew people playing ancestry.com on the surface <laughs> and one of the things that's revealed Ben is that Chief O'Brien is the last to fuck like they make the case that he's the last holdout the last crew person who had any hope of returning Wow. I I totally missed that element of the story. What a thing. And that is that is a thread like to the extent that there are separate A, B, and C stories, I think that O'Brien story is the C story, the degree to which he can he can get on board with the plan as it was and the plan that it could be going forward. Yeah. He's really got a ton of pathos here. The writing on O'Brien's journey is super well done because it doesn't like to the extent that it's a sea story it's not it's never like its own scene it's just like how he's experiencing yeah a a and b story scenes yeah I think it's really well done it's super good so in the six bay on the defiant Bashir is uh checking uh Kira out she's got like those uh those neural uh, devices suction cup to her forehead. Mini clip show devices. <laughs> yeah. Bashir is uh, saying she's going to be fine for now, but he's pretty eager to get down to the surface. So he loads Odo into a kegerator that he's going to stay in for the rest of the episode because he can't hold his shape with all this quantum interference. Yeah, it's pretty interesting to take him off the board, but he is almost immediately replaced with... A character that I'll call Oldo. (laughs) It's good to see you. This is a version of Odo that looks generally like the Odo that we know. He's gotten better at making face. Yeah, and Oldo really really comes for the face-touching and stays for the confession of love. This is some real Thomas Riker shit, right? Like, remember when Thomas Riker saw Deanna Troy 
after the longest time. Like he was, totally. he was into her. Yeah, and also, uh, you know, touching without asking. Yeah, <laughs> being being a big part of uh, of how men expressed affection for women on TV in the nineties. Because <laughs> yeah, like his his first move is to like like hold his hand against the side of Kira's face, but like he drops fairly abruptly and early on that he's basically been holding a torch for Kira for two hundred years. And that he wishes that past Odo had been willing to confess how much he loved her. I don't know how many times I need to say it. I'm not a solid. I'm a changeling. I don't understand barriers and boundaries like a normal person. (laughs) You have to realize I'm holding myself back from flowing over you like ejecta from, say, a penis. Do you know how easy it would be for me to just drown you right here in this room? But I don't. How about giving me a little credit? I'm putting a my version of a solid hand on your face, not the liquid on your face that I would like to. Oh, come on, Oldo. Gross. Did we say anything about Kira's death in the crash? I don't think we did. Oh, yeah. So the, the description that we get from the colonists is that, uh, is that, 200 years ago, Kira passed away pretty quickly because whatever that wharf lightning did to her was something that was treatable uh, on Deep Space Nine, but they didn't have the right equipment on the little D to fix her. So she died relatively soon after the crash. And Oldo has been a member of the of the colony and he like learned to hold his shape despite the quantum interference after a little while and then got really good at shape shifting but has never stopped wishing he'd uh, he'd done the right thing and and expressed his love for Kira back when he had an opportunity. Yeah, you talk about something that's solid. A crush on someone for 200 years is a real galvanizing force, mm-hmm. which is why he's making up for lost time here with Kira. It's amazing to me that he would have spent 200 years not taking an interest in anyone else. <laughs> oh, man. That's some dark shit when you think about it. Nana Visitor. There's only one of her. There's only one of her. And I and that, that I totally understand. I think Kira's reaction here contains multitudes because at first she's like incredulous about it. And then yeah. she's non-believing, and then she's a little upset that he kept the truth from her. And then there's a little bit of like that. I asked you for advice about relationships, man. Like, <laughs> and and impregnated in that comment is, was I getting the straight dope from you, or were you manipulating the situation? Before finally coming to rest at a. Wow, like I can't believe you kept the candle lit so long. That's that's pretty incredible. And and Odo invites her to the planet to have some planetary time with her. And she is able to get to yes. Yeah. What's fun is the last time we saw Cisco, he's like, All right, well, Yedrin has this plan for how to refit the little D for getting the hell out of Dodge. And so uh, he starts delegating tasks to the crew in order to make that possible. But Cisco doesn't have to help. He's just down on the planet meeting his descendants and kissing babies and stuff. He has your eyes. You think so? He's really presidenting around in a fun way. 
and he gets a call from uh, Yedrin and Jadzia Dax that they've uh, they've run the numbers up on the little D, and uh, they are again confident in the in the plan of how they're going to get out of here without without erasing the elements in history that led to the existence of this colony. <laughs> and Zizgo's reaction to this news comes in the form of him kind of cooing to a little baby that he's holding. <laughs> I find it really interesting that in this moment in time, like they've constructed a plan for how to split the ship into so that the colonists can flourish and multiply on the surface and also the crew of the ship can go back to DS9. Yeah. But there is no ethical question right now about the uh, the duality of this, right? And I was right. aching for a Star trek conversation about, like, if I'm making a second me to crash on this planet and repopulate it, like, is that a good thing to do to me? Right. To other me? Right, because that's, like, that's sort of dooming other me to a pretty... A, a pretty bleak next couple of decades. They're they're fairly myopic about concentrating only on the eventual colonists that flourish there and not on themselves. Yeah. Which is, I think, a more direct Twilight Zone place to take the story. So I, I, I understand a little bit why they left that on the bone, but I know that's what I was preoccupied with at this part of the episode like they don't talk about themselves they only talk about the colonists yeah and i think there's an equal ethical consideration star trek insurrection is a story that sort of starts to play with like meeting a colony that that has a a magical element to it like on a on a filmic scale and i feel like this would have been a more interesting premise for a feature film not to get a not to get ahead of ourselves and ruin a thing that we might take on tour one day but like the idea of the idea of that feels like something that you could get into on a feature film scale right whereas like confining it to one episode of television i feel like you've got to kind of pick the battles and i think they're both interesting uh things to explore but they have time for one of them and not both yeah, this is a whole lot of story constrained by a single episode amount of time. It and it and I think it it both works and does not work in its favor. In the town square, uh, Bashir and Worf are hanging out, and uh, Bashir is like, is uh, kind of you know egoing around and saying like, yes, I'm my my healing ability is a bit uh, a bit of a legend around here. Did you wonder about Bashir's super DNA and what the consequences in a shallow gene pool might be if you had his swimmers interacting with? With everyone else? Wow. I was shocked that the consequence to their repopulation wasn't Bashir's super DNA being like <laughs> very apparent. Wow, yeah. Uh, I don't know. I, I guess I don't know enough about how the, the genetics would work, and we don't, I, I think, meet any Bashirs, do we? No, we don't. 
there's a lot of lip service paid to many Bashirs walking around down there, but yeah. uh, but uh, no actual on-screen <laughs> evidence of it. Do you think, I mean, you know that they weren't going to do this on the show, but I feel like the characters, and by that I mean especially O'Brien and Bashir would have the conversation that went like, uh, who had more kids, do you think? <laughs> Was it you or me? Yeah, yeah. Always a competition between those two. That's what I'm saying. We are the sons of Moog. You are my descendants. The sons of Moog are the people that are descended from Worf either by blood or by choice. They're sort of a they're sort of a second faction on the planet. They're not really uh they don't they don't have beef with the uh with the people that live in town, but they would like to live the life of the warrior in uh you know, outside the town, so they kind of, they kind of hunt and gather, and they trade furs for things when they come into town, and uh, and they've all got like Klingon beards, and only only one of them has any loaf on him at all. It's pretty awkward, right? Because it's not just the awkwardness between the sons of Moog and the townspeople, but I think it's interesting that the episode after Martok put his pin on Worf's Letterman's jacket that. They're known as the House of Moog and not the House of Martok. What's that about? No. Well, I guess if you're if you're isolated, maybe you reevaluate the uh, r- extreme rapidity with which you abandoned your previous house. <laughs> you know what? If you've traveled two hundred years into the past, if you're Worf, the House of Moog is a thing. Oh yeah. It so sure maybe is. maybe it's as easy as that. Wouldn't the when the house of Moog walks out of the scene, Bashir turns to Orphan and says, now it would appear that I'm not the only legend around here. This gave me a great t-shirt idea, Adam. Yeah? It's a t-shirt where there's an arrow pointing up and it says the warrior, and then two arrows pointing down, and it says the legends. <laughs> <laughs> do, you th- do you think if we put that in the Max Fun store, we would sell any? <laughs> I do. I really do. <laughs> <laughs> that is awesome. <laughs> I like the idea so much that I drew it in my notebook, and I'm going to Jackie and Laura you my terrible picture. Please now. do. That that line of dialogue just thrown out like that by Bashir made me think of the other story cul-de-sac that this episode doesn't pursue, which is they better not fuck any of these people, right? Like, <laughs> like there is no Back to the Future... Lorraine and Marty potential hookup happening. There's no there's no conflict like that. And I thought for sure, you know, in a longer episode or in a movie, that would be something that they pursued. Yeah, right. I mean, they're down there for a few days, so it seems yeah. like totally possible that I mean, it seems possible that like this I mean, this colony has had has anticipated their arrival for two centuries. They could have like weird like kinks surrounding this, even you <laughs> like know. Only an O'Brien can fuck a a Moog, yeah. or something, right? Yeah, like their erotic imaginations could be totally defined by this weird uh, like time loop that that they are aware of. We're both Bashirs. That's forbidden. <laughs> That's why it's so hot, baby. <laughs> glug glug glug. <laughs> Yeah. The one Bashir was pissing in the other Bashir's mouth. Right. 
back on the little D, Yedrin and Jadzia are discussing the the timeline as it unfolded on the planet, and that timeline included the wedding of Dax and Worf. Yeah. It's so that, weird for everyone to just experience their own future as someone else's past. Yeah. I really like that. And another brief conversation is between Bashir and O'Brien about like who the the women that they will eventually sire their lineages with and like Bashir is like all geeked out about it and he's like yeah like the one I'm gonna I'm gonna nail is like really hot she just transferred aboard last week she's great looking and O'Brien is really distant and angry about it I don't want to hear about it Julian I mean I haven't seen the movie Sliding Doors but I have a feeling this is a real sliding door situation for Chief O'Brien right <laughs> he's seeing a version of his life play out that he never anticipated and it's it's sort of like betrayal of Keiko as being thrust upon him by fate in a way yeah and, and that's I feel like he he plays that really well like that it's he didn't design this for himself it's being like told to him like you will not be starting a family with your wife or or having the family that you already have with your wife you're going to have a different family from now on I'm, it's not really your call i'm really glad you put it that way because that is in direct opposition to how kira is feeling about things kira is a person who gives herself over to the idea that her one life is related to a sense of predestination and she's just sort of riding her life through to its conclusion and o'brien feels very differently about this yeah the the idea of choice for him is very important and he doesn't feel like he has choices if, if he's on the planet's surface he sees all of this shit having already played out and it's and it's really making him cranky she has a big conversation with oldo about this idea of destiny and how much it grates against her to use like a trick of quantum physics and technology to kind of avoid that destiny. Like, like one of the two Kiras is going to die, but the other one is going to get to go back to the station and not die. And Oldo is really riding for this. He does not want her to, to die. His whole thing is that he's really glad that she's going to have this opportunity to go on. He's, like, enjoying this brief moment with her now, but also very pleased that she's going to, like, that he will be able to think of her as continuing to exist outside of this planet and that is not the way she lives her life there are a couple of scenes that take place next to kira's grave and it really is a setting that is a lot like the thinking window from tng like she goes there to be introspective and to maybe make major choices and uh, it turns out major choices are going to need to be made because it's around this point in the episode that Dax grabs Cisco by the elbow and is like, hey, listen, I have been triple-checking some of the math that Yedrin gave me, and it's actually a little too perfect. And I think that's because we're being deceived. Yedrin faked the logs. Why would he do that? It's like the 24-minute mark in a 44-minute episode that stakes are reintroduced. I also checked the time code on this. I was blown away that this is at the halfway point. Yeah. Their their plan was flawed from the start, because if they go through with it, there will only ever be one little D. It's going to bounce off the shield and crash into the planet like it did before. If I hadn't realized what he had done, we would have ended up stranded here. Yedrin is essentially trying to guarantee the continuation of this colony, which is understandable. Yeah. 
Dax and Cisco confront Yedrin, and he basically cops to it. Now that you know, what are you going to do about it? At this moment in time, this conflict triangle goes like this. Why not just stay and figure out how to leave safely, is a question that I had. But you can't, because Kira must return to the station to live. But leaving means closing the time loop that their lives depend on, on the surface. And so it's this, this loop like one thing it's a contradicts needs the, of the many versus yeah it's a, it's a needs of the many versus needs of the few conundrum and it's perfectly designed like from a writer's room standpoint this is a great dilemma because as a viewer you can really see the case on both sides like like it's also kind of interesting to entertain the idea like this like we got everybody but quark from the main cast here i guess everybody but quark and jake from the main cast here right. like what if the show was just this from now on <laughs> You know? Yeah. You talk about your frontier medicine, but she's yeah. got to love this. He would be happier than a pig in shit. A lot of injections. He'd be happier than I was when I came up with my The Warrior, The Legends t-shirt. It's a great shirt idea. <laughs> I think we'll, we'll sell three of them. <laughs> I think that you have to be wearing Klingon loaf for the shirt to work. Yeah, it's got a very specific audience. It's got a, a micro audience, for sure. Yeah. It's got the micro audience of people that want to cosplay as Klingons, but want to wear a t-shirt and not armor. <laughs> yeah, there are a few of those. Yeah. I I think fortunately it's probably, you know, no matter what, what your gender identity is, you can wear it because we have to presume that all Klingon warriors are packing two of whatever they're packing. Mm-hmm. Wrong hole, fool. I love that this episode injects a very modern kind of vibe back at Dax because it, it definitely takes a breath to go, hey, Dax, all of this is your fault anyway. We wouldn't be here if you didn't want to investigate this planet. Yeah, she uh, did sort of sloppy scanning and uh, was too excited about getting down to this planet to to double check her math on the way in so the local dax kind of shames the the space dax for this yeah as yeah. part of his defense of uh having tried to trick them into killing themselves i mean dax is really hard on itself i can get with that <laughs> yeah it me yep <laughs> i'm dax cisco has decided unilaterally that he's not going to ask Kira to sacrifice herself so that the settlement can live. Like he entertains all of the arguments, but he's made a decision. But at this point in time, what's the alternative? This is something I had a hard time getting my mind around. Is it guaranteed that they can leave orbit in the Defiant safely and not ever run into the thing that that's that crashes the ship and sends them into the past? That's the guaranteed path, right? All they have to do is repair the ship and leave. Yeah, I think that they know what anomalous thing they hit to to cause this. So There's a part of this episode that is a little unclear about that because I I I wondered if there was an equal and opposing force to the danger of leaving in general versus running into the anomaly. But it, I guess there yeah. isn't. Leaving is leaving. Leaving is leaving. And we get what the ramifications of leaving are for a lot of different people. Like, we consider what the ramifications are for the children in the colony. We uh, get a scene where the sons of Moog ask Worf to stab them in the chest with knives to give them a warrior's death so that they don't have to just blink out of existence and not go to Stovacor. Right. Which seems like a real loophole in how Stovacor works. Like, yeah. 
Do you go to Stovocart and then blink out of existence? <laughs> or once you get there, are you safe? Is it a race against time if you're them? Like, yeah. you gotta kill me before tomorrow. It's Indiana Jones, the, the stone barrier is coming down and they're sliding under it into Stovocart. The door locks from the inside. <laughs> That's, I mean, it would have to, right? Klingons hate doors. It's also clear that no one will tell the children. Yeah. That's dark. I love how Worf's like, I'll, I'll kill you tomorrow. I will come to you tomorrow and do what you ask. I'd love, the, uh, I'd love to have just gotten one of them be like, so I have to go to sleep thinking about this? Jesus. You know, I'm actually pretty bushed. <laughs> a um, warrior does not ritualistically kill other warriors without a good night's sleep. <laughs> this warrior is a little bit tuckered out. The next day is the last day for for everyone's knowledge, right? Yes, and it happens to coincide with the the planting day, the first day that they put all of the crops in into the ground. It's the it's the cultivation of their crops that that brings them all together, and it just hap- just so happens to be this day. And uh, I thought that one of the most interesting elements of this was how reticent Chief O'Brien was to participate, and I think it's because he doesn't want to have vulnerable interactions with these people right before they blink out of existence like yeah. he knows that it's going to guilt trip him if he like starts you know putting saplings in the ground with a little kid named Molly and he's sort of forced into it by lack of lack of anything better to do like there's no way to talk his, his way out of it and it is the thing that makes him realize that uh he can't be a party to causing these 8,000 people to blink out of existence. I really came full circle in this scene because at first I was like, look at these dumb fucks like planting crops that won't see the end of the day. It's like using a leaf blower. Like what's, <laughs> like, what's the point? But then I remembered like how important a routine is to a sense of a person's place in the world, you know? And how yeah. meaningful doing stuff like this is. So I came around to it. The the part that I had a really hard time with was the music for this this planting scene. It yeah. it seemed to pivot into kind of a Dr. Seussian kind of vibe <laughs> when what I really wanted was a more mixed feeling of a tone. Like like all of these people are going to die, and I think it would have been appropriate for the music to reflect uh, at least a mixed feeling about about things. I mean, I feel like I was having it in spite of the music, yeah. but the music could have underlined it a little bit better. Over the last day, Kira and Odo go back to her grave, and Kira decides that she can't let Cisco take the ship back. She comes around to the idea of dying there, and then Cisco, Dax, Worf, and O'Brien have a pretty heated conversation about Kira's decision and weighing the argument between whether one person's life is equal to 8,000. And they, in the process, say some really hurtful shit to each other. I'm willing to remain here. Well, that's easy for you to say. You hardly ever see your son. Yeah. Cisco doesn't listen and stays strong. <laughs> but by the by the time O'Brien has come around, I think Cisco is on team go into the anomaly and crash land 200 years in the past. And yeah. so they say... There's goodbyes said all around, uh, goodbyes between Oldo and Kira 
most especially very painful scene Oldo is super broken up and they actually kiss each other and uh, I thought that scene was particularly great and powerful except Kira keeps her eyes open during the kiss which was meaningful to me in the sense that I don't know how much she was feeling it versus it just being weird and perfunctory yeah are you a nice closed kisser every time wow Admirable. (laughs) I often forget to close my eyes. I know that you're supposed to. I hope the other person's keeping their eyes closed when they kiss me. (laughs) It only gets worse the closer you get. I would say that my wife looks great from any angle, including so close that I can't even focus on her face. On the bridge, they've loaded up the program. Like, they're going to do this on autopilot. That's how Yedrin has made it. All they got to do is is hit play, and then the ship is going to run into the anomaly, and that's how it'll go. But before they do, they, they load up a probe full of their wills, and they shoot it back towards Deep Space Nine. Kind of a dark moment, but, yeah. but something that seems crucial at the time. Like they have a chance to to stick some messages in a bottle, maybe explain what they're doing. I've got to believe that O'Brien's message is going <laughs> to... Be pretty upsetting to read if you're if you're Keiko, right? Something along the lines of I didn't want to do this, I didn't agree, but yeah. this is the way it is. This is what's happening. This is one of the many things that we signed up for when we joined Starfleet. <laughs> Dear Keiko <laughs> I regret to inform you that uh, I'm going to go live on a planet and fuck most of the crew people on board the Defiant. It's not something I wanted to do. It's more of a duty, really. It is my duty to please these booties. (laughs) If you want somebody to hate, you can hate me or Rita Tannenbaum. Your choice. (laughs) Yeah, please don't take this out on the Tannenbaum family. (laughs) None of us knew that this was going to be our fate going in. Um... But uh, but the program was a bait and switch, Adam. They wind up uh, veering around the anomaly and uh, achieving escape velocity and, and flying away from the planet. I would have loved to have seen the Defiant jetting away into space and just, like, phasering the probe full of wills. <laughs> Man, I was totally thinking the same thing, like it's a race against time. I said all that <laughs> fucked up stuff to Keiko. <laughs> Punch it, Cisco. <laughs> the, there's a, a discussion between Cisco and Dax where they realize that I had a question in my mind whether it was Yedrin or Oldo, and they kind of arrive at the conclusion that Yedrin must have done this. But now, like, they've scanned the planet and the colony uh, does not exist, it never existed. And Cisco says, well, they'll always exist as long as we remember them. Dax is like, what mean existence? And Cisco's like, it's like if you remember something, even though it doesn't really happen. Doesn't really matter. One thing I thought about was why not quickly swap Dax symbionts? Whoa. Because then you could preserve real memories from the colony in Dax. Wow. I guess the only reason you don't do that it, it is because it duplicates the Odo story that happens during the button. Yeah, and uh, and and that story is that uh, our uh, you know prime Odo was uh, chilling in his kegerator, and Oldo came in and linked with him, 
And so Odo now knows everything that happens, happened, knows that his torch that he's been bearing for Kira is on the table and that both of them are aware of it. And he also says that Oldo is the one that sabotaged the program and caused them to erase the existence of the colony. I don't know what to say. What a fucked up way to start a relationship. <laughs> a version of myself that is, is 200 years older than me now elected to kill 8,000 people so that I could fuck you. What do you think of that? Constable Odo. <laughs> I know maybe more than anyone else what it's like to genocide for love. <laughs> but I've got to tell you, your actions are pretty fucked up. <laughs> when I genocided the Hooshnak in order to be forever with my wife, Rashan, I promised that I could never do anything like that again. As a doubt, it's a, a bit tough for me to uh, keep track of which which version of you did it or whatever, but <laughs> that was you. You know it was you. If the genocide fits, you must not acquit. <laughs> I could not believe the end of this episode. It is so fucked up in about ten different ways. Yeah. Because when Odo talks about being linked with with Oldo, there isn't even a hint of, you know, I tried to talk him out of it, but uh, he seemed pretty pretty stubborn on the idea of going through with this idea. Like, not at all. Like, he was basically given this knowledge to take forward, and it's as if Odo became the probe full of wills. Yeah. And with his knowledge of how Oldo feels about Kira, it's... It's not a good look at all. Kira should look at him with horror. Yeah. It's so complicated, right? Because it's like, it's like both the most unambiguous declaration of love ever. Like, like I would take you over 8,000 other people as a grand romantic gesture, but also genocide. Yeah. But also it wasn't this Odo that did it. It's like, it's like a thing he has the capacity for, but he isn't the one that did it. It's very fucking weird. Genocide makes a terrible bouquet of flowers. Yeah. And also, like, I, the music of this moment does not match the tone of what's happening either. I think you could almost dun-dun-dun this. Yeah. But it ends like many other Deep Space Nine episodes, which is just a ship cruising through space. Yeah. I, uh, I will be curious to see how, like, to what extent this comes back and factors into the way we think about Odo and we think about his relationship with Kira. Did you like the episode? You really want to do this here now? Okay, okay, let's do it! I really liked the episode. I think that, like, not really remembering how how it fits into the way Odo and Kira are written going forward is maybe part of why I liked it, but I loved how just, like, momentous it was. I loved the ethical quandary element of it and i loved how many times the episode gets us on one side or the other of that quandary yeah and i thought it was it was very well written well acted i mean i think there are a few things that they had to leave out for time but but overall just like a great execution of a of a real like top shelf star trek idea so, uh, yeah, I really I really enjoyed it. How about you? Yeah, it's both very Star Trek and, be- and very science fiction-y, right? 
Yeah. And that's why I really like the episode too. It's almost too much to chase down all of these different threads. And I'd much rather have it this way than to have too little story in too big of an episode. It's a bit of a deus ex machina in a way because it's kind of just a thing that happened to the crew that they didn't have a lot of control over. Yeah. Except for one of the crew like architected it also. So it's both a deus ex machina and not. Yeah, I mean, it is Odo that did a fucked up thing. The Odo of the past, the Odo that that goes down with the colonists is the same character. It's not like he's a different person. And so the way Kira treats the Odo of the present, I think needs to reflect that. Boy, I think that that's really how how this episode works is Odo is is Odo, but Rene Aubergenois is playing him different enough that it kind of feels like a changed character like and that's even commented on by Kira right like like you're so much more like emotionally available like you're you used to be so closed off and now you're this like different version of yourself and I think he's played like that yeah I really like seeing uh, a different gear on the show for Rene Aubergenois like the blissed out Odo that you get here is a lot of fun to see and it just makes the taciturn version of the character feel more effortful knowing that renee has this talent to bring to the to bear you know yeah uh really fun episode yeah yeah i think really one of my favorites in a long long time even though the ending is is more ambiguous than i maybe would like uh, i really liked it a lot do you want to see if we have any priority one messages that you like as much as this episode? Yeah, we don't have to go back in time for those. Those are right here. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Adam, we have a couple of Priority One messages here. The first is of a personal nature. It's from Andrew, and it's to mostly Ben and Adam. It goes like this. If agreeable, could you do a bit of Vichy Frenchman accusing Kevin of war crimes? I don't think that has happened yet, and it seems too perfect to pass up. Or maybe I'm wrong? Shout out to Caitlin, Allison, and Homer for being my best Star Trek buds ever. Even if it has been a long, long, long time. Hmm. Go fuck yourself, Raz. Go fuck yourself, Raz. And go fuck yourself, Kevin! You have killed so many who snuck. Their weird blood is on your hand. You are a criminal. I believe I've been fairly specific on the topic about uh, there not being a lure to fit my crime. I will take your rubber wife away from you, you piece of shit. <laughs> See if you like that as punishment. I don't think you want to uh, hit the wasp's nest that is a doubt, VC Frenchman. As you know, I am almost totally inconsiderate of consequences to my actions. Hey, I'm, I'm trying to watch a movie here. I, I bought a ticket to see Joker, just like everyone else here. It is just here. the trailer right now. <laughs> Shut the fuck up. I will comment on you know, the trailers you know all what? You know what? That's it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go get an usher. We're going to take care of this right now. You claim you are all powerful and now you... 
You take the aid and comfort of an usher, the last refuge of a scoundrel. Now, look, I'm a, I'm a regal gold club card member, which uh, entitles me to free refills and, uh, and large popcorn upgrades. Uh, I'm going to need to uh, ask for a refund and a gift certificate to a future showing. I will dump something into the top of your popcorn bucket, but those are not junior mints, mon frere. Ben, our second priority one message is from Gabe, and it is for Lord Rat. The message goes like this, to my favorite pygmy cretin. All the best wishes. Every (laughs) single one of them. That was the wharf voice. I guess that was the wharf voice. As requested. Yeah. Wharf voice isn't Kern voice. You and I know it that. Definitely, it definitely isn't, but I, I, it kind of sounds like your Sulu in a way. Oh, yeah. It's got a little of your Sulu in it. It does. Yeah. I mean, I, I really only have three impressions, and they're... And they're all related, so yeah, that makes sense. That checks out. I'm a terrible impressionist, Ben. Wow. Uh, Pygmy Cretan, uh, all the best wishes from us also. Uh, if you have anyone in your life that should be the recipient of some wishes, best or otherwise, you can take it on over to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron, where personal messages are $100 and commercial messages are $200, both of which are a great, great way to help the ongoing production of our commercial-free program. Hey, Adam. It's that, Ben. Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Drunk Shimoda! Yeah, there's that moment when the kid asks Worf if he can kill someone by looking at them that is a very, like, <laughs> grabbing Santa's beard and pulling it to see if it's real kind of vibe. Yeah. And it's a very short, almost throwaway scene. But I love that Worf just... He yes ands. There's not a question in his mind about where he's going to go with his answer, and it is obviously yeah. yes. Worf, uh, Worf took some classes that the groundlings are UCB or something. Pretty awesome. What about you, Ben? Uh, my my drink Shimoda is actually that kid, Gabriel, the hmm. uh, the kid that aspires to one day be a warrior. <laughs> and I just like I feel like he is so emblematic of a certain type of child actor that was cast in TV shows in the 90s yep. and was like the blonde or red-headed kid that was on the wrong path. Walker told me I have AIDS. Like, it's this haircut, a kid that looks like this and is like, is like addicted to crack or is like joining yeah. a street gang or something and it's like it's this like version of Hollywood that's like uh, well we can't show like a black kid doing that so uh, 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 uh We'll have a kid that looks like he's he's going to uh, sleep away school in Switzerland doing it. Yeah, he's a kid you hope doesn't have some helicopter parents just off screen. Yeah, uh, mismanaging his money. Yeah, so <laughs> I looked up the actor and he uh, he had a few other television credits, but kind of stopped working around uh, the early two thousands, and uh, I guess just had a, a little run in his childhood and teens. As a as an actor, but isn't working anymore. Wow, how about um, that? Yeah, best of luck to that guy wherever he is. Uh, but uh, for for just being kind of a, an avatar of a of a phenomenon in '90s television, uh, I had to make him my drunk Shimoda. Gotta get that, get that. 
One of the amazing things about making The Greatest Generation is getting to see all of the cool, creative stuff that the Friends of DeSoto make when we do a Code 47 episode. People send in handcrafted stuff all the time, and they send in their books, they send in paintings, they send in uh, crochet work. It's so cool. And uh, I want a few more of you to have websites to direct us to in those letters. I want you to put your beautiful work on display for the world so that when we get to look at it, we can tell people where to go to get a look at it themselves. And you don't have to know anything about building a website to build a website these days because you can use Squarespace. It'll look beautiful no matter what kind of device people are looking at it on. Hell, you can even sell stuff using a Squarespace website. Don't make your cool, creative project captain's eyes only. Head to squarespace.com slash scarves for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. A good time so often has a downside, doesn't it? Especially when it comes to stuff that you put in your birdie. We've all been hungover before. I mean, many of us have, I guess. Or we've had too much jazz in our gummy. And that sucks, right? Because you don't think about the time after the good time that you've been trying to have a good time. That's why I like Lumi Labs so much. It's the predictability. Through painstaking trial and error, I have found my perfect dose. It's what I can depend on when I can use a little more chill, a little help getting into a creative headspace. And I don't need to have too much fun doing whatever it is I need to be doing. And I'm so glad that Microdose is available nationwide. That means just about anyone can try it. To learn more about Microdosing THC, go to microdose.com and use the code SCARVES to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Again, that's microdose.com and the code is SCARVES. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. (laughs) Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on. Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Well, what are we going to make out of our next episode of The Greatest Generation, Ben? 
Next episode is season five, episode 23, Blaze of Glory. Cisco attempts to force his traitorous former officer to stop a final Maquis attack that could lead to the destruction of the Federation. Holy shit. I thought the Maquis were dead. That's so too. But the Maquis are going out in a blaze of glory, presumably. I guess there was only one possible end to the Maquis story. Yeah. This would seem to be it. Yeah. Uh, so so uh, I'm going to head over to gach.biz slash game, where we keep the game of buttholes, the will of the prophets. Uh, currently, we are on the 25th square in our little runabout. Just ahead is a Naked Now episode that we could hit. Uh, but other than that, a bunch of normal squares and... Uh, I'm gonna, what do you say I roll this thing, Adam? You're required to learn as you play. Roll. You gotta do that. You can't keep us in suspense like this. And I have jumped well past the naked now, uh, landing us on square 30. Chula! Did I win? Hardly. Next week's episode will be normal. Well, normal for us. Normal for us. Very weird for anybody listening. Which is a real twisted kind of Star Trek podcasting. Yeah, we're the bad boys of Star Trek podcasting. Real edgy shit over here. So, uh, yeah, tune in next week. Uh, in the meantime, why don't you head over to MaximumFun.org slash donate and uh, contribute to the production of our show. We would really appreciate it. As you noticed up top on the show, uh, we are starting to read questions from our reviews. Uh, a five-star rating and review is how you can get a chance at having your question answered right here on the show. Just uh, rate and review us on iTunes. Tell a friend about the show. If uh, if you don't have iTunes, uh, you know, use use the IRL uh, recommendation to to help us grow the show. That would be great too. You might be in a lobby area of a medical practice or an office building that may have an unprotected Bluetooth speaker. Uh, maybe you just link into that and start yeah. playing the Greatest Generation there. That's a good way to They're get not- new new viewers. They're not going to know where that's coming from. That's like airdropping a meme to everybody on your uh, on your f- transcontinental flight. Really makes someone's day like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, well, uh, we got to thank our buddy Bill Tilly, who makes trading cards out of every episode at Bill Tilly 1973 on Twitter. All those trading cards always make me laugh. Highlight of the week. We also got to thank Adam Ragusia, who makes custom theme music for us, and uh, he based that work on the great Dark Materia who made the original Picard song which you hear low under our voices right now. And low. We'll be back at you next time with another great episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine and an episode of The Greatest Generation Deep Space Nine which ends the Maquis once and for all. Fucking better. Not gonna end the drop once and for all though. No. That drop's pure gold. MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture Artist owned Audience supported